0: This is Forbes Under 30
1: on Podcast One. And I'm your host, Steve Goldblum. On Forbes Under 30, we talk to young innovators, disruptors, and entrepreneurs. Please subscribe to Forbes Under 30 on iTunes. And while you're there, leave us a rating, leave us a review. We would really appreciate that. Your support will help keep the show going. Thank you. We're kicking off our first episode with a quick chat with Forbes Magazine editor Randall Lane. He's the guy that came up with the Forbes Under-30 Summit and the 30 Under-30 List. The Summit is an annual three-day conference that features some of the brightest makers of our day. That's 600 people in different industries, all under 30 years old. Randall, thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us. Thrilled to be here. When did you have the idea for the Under-30 Summit? What inspired the Under-30 Summit? Uh, Well, the 30 on the 30 list,
0: we've been doing it for six years, uh, and it was one of the first things when I came to Forbes that I wanted to do, and that if you look at what's going on in the world, and kind of in the business world, there's never been a better time in human history, really, to be a young entrepreneur, I mean, you know, for generations, going back a thousand generations, to achieve great things you needed wisdom and time and experience and apprenticeships and resources that you had to build over time and you couldn't just start a steel factory when you were 22. And um, and now with this generation, the first digital generation who grew up with the internet and are able to see things that Those who are just as smart but a little older can't see because, uh, you know, the Internet and the digital world is wired into the brain of this under-30 community. Uh, You know, so that made sense. And the list coming out of the gate uh, with the Forbes brand and how we were able to, you know, we had some of the best judges in the world and just the credibility that it conveyed on the um, honorees. It was such a blockbuster. So the first year we had an event uh, at the Forbes offices and almost everyone from those came and it was great and then the next year we said well why don't we go to where a lot of the generation is we'll go to south by south by southwest and we had a great party at john paul de the patron billionaire uh his house in austin and that was incredibly well attended people wouldn't leave all night and i kept on talking to people and saying, hey, thanks for coming out here and, and um, hope you're going to have a good South By. And they all said the same thing, which is, oh, I didn't come to South By and then come to this party. I came to, I came for this party and I'm staying at South By. We had an opposite where they wanted to meet the other fellow honorees. They wanted to be with the the leaders of their generation, the people who also kind of made it through this, this gauntlet. And uh, that was where kind of the light bulb went out and said, why don't we create what's become the greatest gathering of young leaders in the world. And it's been, you know, off to the races ever since.
1: Well, I want people to appreciate uh, just how big the list is and how difficult it is to get on the list and how vast uh, the research is. So can you talk about the criteria, first of all, to Uh, how people do uh, get on the list?
0: Absolutely. I mean, this year on the U.S. list, we had about 15,000 nominations for 600 slots. And, uh, you know, of course, it's not only 30 people on the list. It's 30 people in six in 20 categories. You have 600 honorees. So 600 out of 15,000, uh, you're looking at uh, four, about 4-ish percent. Uh, it's like getting into, getting into Harvard or, or Stanford. Uh, and you're talking about 15,000 people who are already super achievers just to even be considered. Now, the way we put the list together is three ways. One, we have people who nominate others or nominate themselves. Two... As we have people who who we have people we trust who are feeding us names who they think are good, so it's kind of so one is self nomination or peer nomination, another is kind of kind of leader nominations, and the third is and frankly the most effective is we we have uh, about 50 reporters working on this. We have at least two reporters on all 20 categories, and some of the three. So we have about 50 reporters, and they're going out in each area and calling all their sources and calling all the people who are big hitters and saying, who are the who are the people who are really making a difference, who are the people who are shaking up the industry, who everyone's watching, who are young. And sometimes we'll nominate people and they don't understand that, you know, they think they're young, but they're really 35. But we get a lot of great names by just doing it the old fashioned way and asking the experts in every industry who the people are shaking up the industry. So we, you know, we don't get everybody. It's a by definition, uh, you know, it's a list you can argue about. It's not, it, it's, it's a lot of science, but it's a lot of art. But I think we do a pretty good job of getting the people, you know, you're going to find the – Evan Spiegel from Snapchats and the Kevin Systrom from Instagrams and the Mark Zuckerbergs and the LeBron James. You're going to find them here before you hear about them uh, in the wider world. It's kind of an early radar system for the, for the economy.
1: Well, I wanted to pick up on that because I know you do place a primacy on finding the next big thing. And somebody like an Evan Spiegel, uh, can you talk about – I mean, that's a great example because it started as a, as a peekaboo. Wasn't it that the
0: the idea and Snapchat became it started as peekaboo and started kind of as a in a dorm room in Stanford and the idea is you could send naked pictures to each other or your boyfriend or girlfriend and that was kind of that was how it was marketed is that like now you can you know and it disappears so it's okay to send these and that was kind of the that was their motivation is to send the picture that would disappear. You know, they pivoted into a way to actually have you know real-time kind of, but digital communication, but that more mimicked what people for millions of years have taken for granted is that what you say to somebody you you can deny later and/or it won't be thrown in your face. So um, that pivot was something that they understood because they were of the generation, uh, and now the company's worth. Way more than $10 billion. Well, that's so, right. You
1: know, and they they, they billion. turned down $3 billion for 23000000000 billion. Isn't that right? Correct. So, uh, you know, we actually
0: put uh, Evan on the cover of the 30 and the 30 issue a couple of years ago, and that's when he turned down $3 billion from, from Zuckerberg of Facebook, and we were kind of like, and he's 23, and it's like $3 billion is not enough. And we're like, wow, that's a new. But he was absolutely, and we were a little skeptical because, you know, it seemed like, he could be a fad, but he was absolutely right. Uh, history has borne him out. I mean, now he's north of 20 billion in valuation. And while they're not, they haven't got to the finish line yet in terms of an exit. They're talking about an IPO this year, and it's pretty clear that three billion was uh, was a low number. And uh, and they were, you know, his instincts were spot on.
1: Well, you'd be watching that, and uh, you know, you've already used one of these words in this conversation. But but buzz, buzzwords like. You know, pivot, disruption, fail fast, iterate, I would say even empathy. They are buzzwords, but at the same time, they kind of do define this uh, younger generation that you attract on the list. Why are those qualities so important for the young entrepreneur and for for the under 30?
0: Well, at the end of the day, it's like skiing where the easiest time to learn to ski is when you're young because when you fall, it doesn't hurt. And that's the, all the great skiers learned when they were little kids because when you fall a lot and it doesn't hurt to fall, uh, you get much better very quickly as opposed to when you learn as an adult and <laughs> falling hurts and it, you don't pick it up as much. When you, It's about risk tolerance. If When you're young, you don't have that much to lose. And if you don't, in turn, that's what's great about the United States too, which – for years has embraced you know it has embraced failure and on silicon valley in Silicon Valley, it's easier to raise money if you failed than if you've never tried uh people realize that and so there's no stigma with the people in the thirty under the thirty in terms of failure there's only a stigma if you don't try so if you try and you fail and you learn and you pivot and you re- you get a relaunch and you, that everyone gets that that's the key to success. And that is the um, that is the common thread is the fearlessness, uh, and that always helps when you don't have two kids and a mortgage. It's a lot easier to be risky, and that is the best time to be an entrepreneur when you you know when you have no fear of failure. You will take chances, and a
1: lot of these people succeed in big ways. Well, Randall, as you continued to uh, curate the list and and produce the summit, what are things that uh, how will it change what are you what does the future look like for the uh, for under 30 well it what's great
0: and you look and you see it at the under 30 summit
1: where uh
0: you go there and it's you know in boston last year we had you know, about 7000 people and you look across the crowd and you know what's great it's it's you have a lot of you have a lot of uh kind of lists and franchises and conferences where you know it's mostly white guys. And here you see almost as many women as men. You see people of every race and religion and background. Uh and what's you know, what is great about watching the under thirty seeing the under thirty Summit grow, seeing the thirty under thirty franchise grow is that you know, it's a lot, it's it's as close to, you know, n- n- you know there's, there's no such thing as a pure meritocracy, at least not yet, but boy, you know, if you have a good idea, there's never been a better time, no matter what your your race, gender, religion, sexual preference, doesn't matter, it's the idea and the execution, and while um, there's still a ways to go in terms of women and venture capital finance and also, you know, a lot of other things like that, you look across at who's there and it looks like what America will look like, and you know we we're seeing now what America is like in twenty years, and everyone's successful uh and it's a very diverse audience that only the only thing that they have in common is that they are ambitious, they're smart, and they're successful, uh and everything else they don't see anything else but but those great traits.
1: Well, Randall, thanks a lot. Super appreciate it. And speaking of ambitious people under 30, last year, one of the most popular speakers at the summit was Martellus Bennett. This weekend, he's heading to the Super Bowl as the tight end for the New England Patriots. I spoke with him late last year to discuss the ways in which he's so much more than a football player, like a family man, children's book author, and an app maker, naturally. Martellus, welcome to the show.
2: Oh man. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. I'm excited.
1: So just jumping right in, when you were speaking at the recent Forbes Under 30 Summit, you said you went through a demasking phase a few years ago. Let's take a listen. And
2: I was able to strip myself down and become the same person at all times, no matter what room I was in. So hopefully
1: everyone sees the same thing no matter where I'm at, on the football field or in a place where there's a lot of geniuses or whatever you want to call them. You've said it was time spent in New York that brought on this sort of reckoning with yourself. What kind of masks are you talking about?
2: We all have masks. Like if we go to work, if you have a job, you feel like, or you with a certain group of friends. If I go back home to where I grew up, you know, I put on this mask to still be the guy that I once was when I was there. If I go to a business meeting, I put on a mask that I feel like this is what people want me to be like at work. Like we all wear these different masks at different times to project what we think other people want to see. But when we go through a demasking phase, you realize that the best version of yourself is is what all is all that you need to be. So when I say mask, it's just like if I was in a club with friends, I had this mask on, you know, if I was out with my girlfriend, I had this type of mask on. If I was with my friends who had kids and families, we put on a different mask. You know, so it's just like portraying ourselves to be something that we're not to fit in an in environment at that moment.
1: Well you said you said in your own home you have a demasking system. What is that?
2: So What I did was I created a character named McGuire, and every time I found a different mask of mine, I created a different costume for him. When I found that mask, I kind of conquered that mask, and I was able to shed it.
1: After our interview, I followed up with Martellus, asking him what exactly Maguire was. He said Maguire's wardrobe is mainly costumes, all representing a different version of himself that he discovered during his demasking period. He's named after Kennard McGuire, Bennett's agent, and someone he's extremely close to. He told me identifying the masks was key to mastering them because he could change his behavior in anticipation of the mask showing up.
2: I knew it. I recognized it. I saw it before. And when you see things once before, then you know how to react when they're there. I don't know if that makes sense.
1: I think it makes sense. I mean, it's it's your world. (laughs) We're making sense of it. You know, when you were growing up, What kind of home did you grow up in? My childhood was very awesome. I,
2: um, I mean, I played sports. I played instruments. I was in band. I was first chair in band, and I was an honor roll student. My parents kind of supported anything that we wanted to do, and I think the best thing that they did was that they never put more emphasis on one thing than the other. If I had football practice or basketball practice, my parents were there. They made sure I got there or I figured out how to get there myself. If I had band or uh, a recital or a symphony that I had to play in, my parents treated it the same with the same importance that they treated sports.
1: What instrument was it that you played?
2: Uh, growing up, I played a trombone, and I loved the trombone. It was always really cool. I actually got tricked into playing it. First, I wanted to play the saxophone, but then my te- the band teacher needed trombone players, and they tricked me by telling me one of my arms was longer than the other, and they did this little trick and pulled my shoulder back, and I believed them, and I ran home, and I was like, Mom, I'm built to play the trombone. And she just looked at me like, what?
1: (laughs) Amazing. One of my arms is longer than the other. So
2: I just, it's actually, I want to start back playing.
1: You said that half of the NFL is corny. What's your relationship been like over the course of your career with players? Because you're such a creative type and you're so not the conventional player.
2: Um, I'm cool with guys. I mean, I understand where they're coming from. So my relationship with most players is very good. You know, I just think that. You know, a lot of the NFL could be blah, and that's just sports period, though, because guys are afraid to be themselves because of their marketing deals, their trade, or, you know, their dollar amount of what the fans may think of them if they tell them how they really feel, and guys are just trying to fit in with the guys and and with the fans and with the culture is, and try to do what they think that they want instead of. And who they actually want to be themselves.
1: Well, it's interesting that you say that because I remember an athlete saying that the last time they played for fun, maybe it was Barry Bonds or so, the last time he played for fun was in high school. When was the last time you feel like you played for fun?
2: I mean, I the only reason I play football is for fun. If I wasn't fun, no more I wouldn't be doing. I got a lot of other stuff I could be doing with my times and tearing up my body and going out there and playing, uh, playing football. The only reason I play football to this day is because it's still
1: fun sometimes coaches will have in their mind somebody that they want to be the leader of the team. But you as a member of the team know that that person is not actually the leader in the locker room when the cameras aren't rolling and the coaches may be gone. So can you talk about that? What do you mean by that?
2: I think that's like any job, that guy that everyone turns to. And it's the same thing in any office that you go to. And it may not look like what you think they should look like. And they may not, you know, say the things that you want them to say, but people respect them because they're honest and they know they won't get the truth. They're not going to like you are not sugarcoating anything. At the end of the day, people want to know what's real. Like, you know, and I think those are the people that people look up to, not the one that's always trying to do what the boss feels is right when the boss is around to save face.
1: Well, you're a very self, you're a very confident guy, and you're also very self-aware. Like, you, for instance, you voted for yourself for captain, right? Once, then you, maybe a couple times, you voted for yourself for captain, but then you kind of acknowledge that with a wink. Like, you know it's funny. (laughs)
2: <laughs> that shit is funny though
1: where does that where does that come from
2: shit I almost wrote myself in on the presidential ballot yeah but I didn't do oh really do
1: it. listen we could have teamed up and get you two votes if you'd let us know <laughs> when you when, when, when you uh, I think this is true when you left college correct me if I'm wrong but you were one of the few players that, like, didn't seek out an agent. You, you kind of, you, you pushed that away at a pretty young age, which is impressive. When did you get introduced to the business of sports, that you were going to have agents that were going to guide you? At Farmers Insurance, we know a roof can withstand a lot. One exception
0: being an airborne car. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers.
1: Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state.
2: The thing is, most of the guys just seem like slime balls and I just never really trusted what they what they had to say or the way they talk Like they all seem like snakes. Um for the most part, you know, they try to buy you out of yeah. college, you know, and it's cool to take some money from them if that's what you're interested in. But at the same time, kind of, it's kind of like um, the guy I did this time with Kenar McGuire. He was just like he's always been. He's been like a second dad to me since since I was you no know, 19 or whatever when I keep when I came out. So I'm talking to him every day, just like I talk to my dad. I'm probably the only person who talks to an agent. I talk to my agent and my financial advisor every day. Actually, I just need to know what's going on with my money, and I need to know what's go- and what else is going on with my money in the NFL.
1: So talk to me a little bit about having a, a big brother in the uh, the NFL. Is there a part of you that's like, man, I just wish my brother was like a a high school teacher or something? Like, why did he? Why does my brother? or Maybe he feels that way about you being the younger brother in the NFL as well. But is there a competition in that, or do you kind of enjoy it?
2: No, me, me, Michael, me, none of none of my brothers like. We've never competed with one another. We always push each other. So, like Michael, his thing is he want to be in the NFL. He didn't get drafted, but he'll tell you anytime any time you ever talk to him that I've always told him that he could be the best defensive player in the league because I saw something in him that he didn't see in himself. To himself at one point, and it's the same thing with me creatively. Michael believes that I'm one of the most creative people in the world, and sometimes when I get down creatively. It's like, man, you're going to create some of the best stuff for kids or people in the world to enjoy with their families. And the same thing with my little brother. My little brother works at my company, the Imagination Agency, and I know he wants to start his own business. And I'm always pushing him to push him so that he can do it. And my little my little sister, it's like we just support each other. Whatever, I dream, like whatever my brother dreams are, they become my dreams. So when he accomplishes his dreams, I feel a little fulfillment in myself, too. Same thing with my sister. Same thing with my wife, my brother's wife, everyone that's super close to me, when they fulfill their dreams, I get this sense of satisfaction of like dreams come true and and I think that, and that's just what it is. Like, when my brother accomplish something, he gets sacked, or so he goes to the Pro Bowl and he's MVP. I'm never envious. I'm super – I'm I'm elated, if anything. It's just like, bro, I'm so proud of you. That's awesome. Like, we got to celebrate this. We got to do this. Like, man, that was great, you know?
1: You're like, you must be the most self-actualized player in the NBA, in, in the NFL.
2: Man, I wasn't always this way. I mean, I'm not an ego-driven person. So, you know, when the ego is alive, you know, like I'm quoting Eckhart Tolle, Eckhart Tolle, but I kind of believe this myself too, but – uh, when the ego is alive, you know, you can't it only could exist on what it has done and what it thinks it's gonna do. It's only the past and the future because in the present the ego has not done anything. So therefore the ego cannot cannot survive. So when you're in the now, you that means you're you have no ego. You're just present in the now and you're enjoying the moment. But most people don't like to be in the now because you really have to deal with shit when you're in the now it's better to think about, it's easier to think about what you what you used to look like or how you used to feel or what you did two months ago, two years ago, or those great moments you have, all those great moments you think you're going to have instead of creating great moments right now for yourself.
1: Well, I want to talk a little bit about the moments that you've created because, you you know, outside of sports, you, you called yourself, first of all, the Black Walt Disney. Can you, can you pick up on that?
2: Basically, like, my goal is to create a Disney, a DreamWorks, you know, whether it's no, whether it's um, Katzenberg or you know um, Ed Catmull, John Lasseter, Walt Disney, Jim Henson, like create something that people cherish and you can enjoy with your family. Or J.K. Rowling, or Doctor Seuss, or Roald Dahl, like all these people who create these entities, these worlds that people love to visit over and over again. And there's never really been African Americans who have done that. It's crazy. You think they just celebrate Toy Story One was the first CGI film ever created and they just celebrated their 25th anniversary and, and there's only been one major motion pictures see animated film that was directed by an african-american
1: like that's crazy that's right Yeah, it was peter ramsey he directed rise of the guardians So you know there's a there's a, actually a children's book uh illustrator named christian robinson who i think you'd really like in the bay area he's uh he's black and he draws uh children of color in books and uh, so that people can see themselves i think i think you'd actually really like his work
2: oh yeah you have to uh, hook me up with that because that's what I do. So I create, like, all my characters are char- – but that's what I know. That's where I grew up. That's what I see. That's what my daughter is. That's what my friends' kids are. Most, You know, my, my friends' kids aren't, but that's what I see. Like, every day I want my daughter to be able to grow with characters that look like her that she can relate to. And other kids who out there that look like my daughter can have strong characters – that, and great protagonists, and not to focus on their ethnicity, but just their awesomeness, you know, it's like, not to be like, oh, I'm not my hair, because I'm black, it's just like, oh, this kid's awesome, like, what if Macaulay Culkin was black in Home Alone? Most people would write the movie differently, like, they would, like, write the movie totally differently, but me, I would just put a black kid in, he would act just like, um, Macaulay Culkin did, you know, in the movie, like, it's just, like, all these scenarios, like, there's very, there, there's, like, three black wizards, and Harry Potter, you know what I'm saying? So subconsciously, kids of color think grow up thinking that only white kids could go on those adventures, but it's not the, it's not the truth. It's just the way that it's just that most of the people creating these shows of are not of color, and that's and that's fine. There's nothing really wrong with that. It's Just like there's place for both, like in Arendelle of Frozen, there's not one black person in Frozen. Right. So uh, my daughter loves Frozen. She loves Elsa and Anna all day. I'm over here, let it go, let it go, <laughs> you know. And she's like, and she's always like, I'm like, I'm I'm beautiful like Elsa, and but she also I also look like Princess and a Frog, Tiana. You know, I'm going I'm on a rant right now, but it's just like there's just not enough characters for her to really relate to. You got Doc McStuffins, you know, Dory. That's why Dory's was so big. That's why Doc McStuffins is so big. That's why, you know, even like superheroes, there's not that many black superheroes, especially for kids. There's not like, you know, that's why Luke Cage was such a big show for me to watch recently. Or, you know, I grew up and had Static Shock. He was the most awesome hero, but he was like me. You know, as a kid growing up, I'm like, oh, I'm like Static Shock. And if you pick up children's books, it's the same way. There's not many with kids of color. It's usually um, white kids or or animals or creatures. You know, it's not like, you know, just... As least said, the main character. There's a lot of kids of color and support in supporting roles, but not many in starring roles where they are the main character.
1: Well, I want to talk a little bit about your inspiration because um, your daughter, you said that it was Love at First Sight, March 15, 2014. Love at First Sight when you first laid eyes on your daughter.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, my daughter is just. There's something about having
1: kids, bro. It's just like, you have kids? No, not yet. Oh man! Well, I think we're about the same age. Yeah, I'm 29. Oh God damn it! I'm 32. What am I doing? <laughs> yeah. So like, when you when you have a kid, bro, it's like
2: like just it's like this feeling. I don't know if it's love. I don't know what it is. I know love. I mean, love is not a thing. Really, it's always there's a abundance of love in the world. Like love, you can't really lose love or gain love. There's always going to be the same amount of love in the world, no matter what happens to you in life. But this moment like when you see this kid for the first time it's like you care instantly like it's it's so amazing like you you may do a lot of things in your life but you have to learn and grow to care but not when you have a child at that moment it's like this it's just like this instinct kicks in where you love you care you protect like you know the doctor touched your baby the wrong way on day one hey what are you doing don't hit her like that you know what I'm saying? we about to fight. It's just it's just special. So, like, with my daughter, like, I just wanted to create stuff where she could, um, she could grow up and enjoy. Like, recently she just started saying, hey, I'm AJ. AJ's me. I'm like, yes, finally. Duh. Where have you been the last three
1: years? <laughs> <laughs> the AJ Bennett's daughter is referring to is the little girl protagonist of Bennett's first children's story, Hey, AJ, It's Saturday. It's available in print and as a digital app. The app's interactive features include games and finding Theo, A.J.'s best friend. But for Bennett, Hey A.J. is not just a tale, it's a message of love and a promise to always be there for his girl.
2: Because the ultimate goal, as a parent, the one thing you want to do, you kind of want to be around forever for your kids. You never want them to have to go without their advice or be, be there for them. So by creating things, I'm able to live forever for her. I could always tell her stories that she could tell my grandkids and they could tell their grandkids, like, I could leave a legacy behind that, that lives on forever. and something that you can inherit. I could teach her how to create. I can't teach her how to play football. You know, football only lasts so long. That's not going to be my legacy is who I am as a person. At least I hope not, because that means I probably tell that life if that's all I did it was on the gridiron. So, like, when I created AJ, it was like a lot of the stories I write, they're cool now. It's, like it's for kids, but they're really for my daughter when she's entering college, you know, like, the next book in a series called, Hey, AJ is bedtime. And it's like, um, when there's a party in your room, it's hard to get some rest and everyone knows that unicorns party the best. And that's because I'm the black unicorn, which is my nickname. So that makes her unicorn. So I'm just letting her know that you're going to be awesome when you're in school and everybody's going to want to party with you. But when you party in your room, you're never going to get any sleep, you know? So basically, but right now it's just really fun and engaging and, Enchanting, and, and it's like a lot of craziness going on, but it's really for her when she's in college. So it's my way of leaving messages and notes for her forever.
1: You know, uh, it's really heartwarming to hear you talk about this, and I think you might be one of the most creative, sweetest players in the <laughs> NFL uh, today. The, um, the I'm curious, how old were you when you started playing in the NFL? I'm t- I turned
2: 29, this is my ninth year. I was 20 turning 21.
1: Okay. So can you tell, walk me through like other athletes. And I think this will relate to entrepreneurs too, who sort of have success really early in life. What is that like? I mean, when you come into the NFL, you're like shot out of a cannon and you're playing in front of, I don't know how many tens of thousands of people. And there's, uh, I, I just imagine women jumping out of the trees for you. What, how do you deal with that? I mean, what, what, are you a different person? From your early twenties playing in the NFL, when did you decide that you wanted to go (laughs) into settle into a family life and become a children's book app developer with an eye for the future? Well,
2: I mean, well, shit, I'm totally different. Thank God, I'm totally different. (laughs) You live a life that's accelerated. Like you have to learn so much more, so much, so much faster than everyone else your age, and it and it's a struggle at the same time because there's just so much that you don't know. You're not you're not really a adult yet. Like you don't know, like shit, I didn't know about taxes.
1: Was there a turning point for you where you realized, you know, this life is really, really fast, it's it's fun? And was there a point where you're like, you know what, I need to step away, I want to settle down and find other things that are rewarding?
2: It's interesting because when you're a creator, or when you're creative, that never leaves you. You always have this urge to want to create, like, it's just who you are. you like you like the girl from Wreck-It Ralph. She knew she was a driver the whole time, you know what I'm saying, like... But they said she was a glitch, but something just didn't feel right. She wanted to drive, even though they told her she shouldn't drive. One of the biggest luxuries of the NFL earlier was free time. Like, you know, in off season, you train for three hours, and then it's like, what do I do for the rest of the day? You know, I play video games. That gets old. I mean, you only can play so much Halo, you know. (laughs) And then after a while, I was like, man, that urge just kept coming to me. So I started back painting. I started doing art shows. Then I started making music again. And then I started... Um, back uh, created clothing lines and then I started skateboarding again I started falling back in love with everything I always wanted to do and I became a complete person again because I had shut off one one part a whole half of myself to become something that wasn't totally me was just an athlete I've never been just an athlete I've always been more than an athlete I'm not a football player this is what I do when football becomes who you are and it's and so it's it's football is a roller coaster game. It's emotional. You have good games. You have bad games. You're gonna drop balls. You're gonna make great catches. The newspapers are gonna be wishy washy. And if you live that life based on what you accomplish only on the field, then it's not always gonna be great because you're not gonna be great all the time on the field. It's just the way it is. The other people get paid millions of dollars to stop you. You know so. And they've got other people paying million dollars to come and replace you. Like, you start off, like, when I come into the NFL, I'm the lion. The guy in front of me, he's the gazelle. Every day he wakes up, he has to run. Every day I wake up, I have to run to chase him so I can eat. But now I'm the gazelle, and all the younger cats are the lions. So every single day I have to wake up, and I have to run. And it's the same thing no matter what it is. When you're a young entrepreneur, everything is fast. It's great. man. You chase in, You want to become the next apple. You want to become the next you know, Phil Knight, Nike. You building, you building this, but once you get to the top, you become Mark Zuckerberg. Now you're the, now you're the gazelle. Then what! All these other young startups, they're the lions.
1: <laughs> Listen, <laughs> uh, Martellus, I uh, I want you to be careful because I've I've played a little football myself. What position did you play? You know, I lasted about five minutes. (laughs) I can't remember. I'm a Canadian, and I didn't understand what the positions were or how many men on the field were allowed. But uh, (laughs) other than that, I think we're a lot alike. I want to thank you for joining us. Um, It it really has been fun to talk with you, and I'll be following everything that you do.
2: I appreciate it, bro. If you ever want to get out there and play football or quidditch, just let me know.
1: I will. I could use a couple lessons, uh, and maybe we should stretch.
2: Yeah, when I was younger, I didn't have to stretch, but now every day I go out there. I'm out there. It's like 15, 20 minutes before the young books come out there stretching all day.
1: <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. I just want to ask you one more question. Uh, this and tell you know if if it's too personal, you don't have to answer. But when you were dating, when you were single, how did you find like how did you decide that this was the right woman for you? When you decided to get married, I'm sort of fascinated by that because you're this big NFL star. And then, you know, people want things from you. How do you size people up and how do you decide this is the person, this is the right person for me?
2: I mean, after a while, you, I mean, dealing with people for a long time, you know, being an athlete or any individual that deals with people all the time, you develop the spirit of discernment. Like, you kind of know. um But when I met my wife, the moment I saw her, I was like, I'm going to marry her. Like, it was just it. Like, you're married. I me. Mean, not to sound like a creeper, but <laughs> yeah. <you know. laughs> but I knew, like, the moment we met, like, and like i always tell people like she was the only person at that time in my life that i loved more than i loved myself besides my family you know like i loved her like young player in nfl i thought i was awesome i loved me for me but when i met her i i I loved her more than i loved myself and that's when i realized that she was the one for me
1: and you're gonna start making people cry (laughs) it's the truth though it's beautiful it's very beautiful Martellus, thank you very much. Uh, we appreciate it. Right, Take care. Thanks. That's it for this episode of Forbes Under 30. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to reach out to us with a comment or question, please do so at under30, that's the number 30, at podcast podcastone.com. At Farmers Insurance, we know a roof
0: can withstand a lot. One exception being an airborne car
1: seen it covered it click for more
0: we are farmers
1: underwritten by farmers truck fire insurance exchanges and affiliates products not available in every state at the border i'm ed Donahue with an ap news minute at the roundtable discussion today in san antonio texas president trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border many people are dying and the danger of living here unless you know exactly what you're doing is Tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington
0: to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs.
1: Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said, Science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.